did you know that 80% of underrepresented college students who start a computer science degree will leave computer science before graduating? And for those that do graduate, most will have skill gaps making them likely to leave the workforce altogether or spend their career underemployed. Which is why we're interviewing Michael Ellison, who is the chief operating officer of CodePath, but also a founding member, founding board member of CodePath.org. CodePath uh, provides accelerated software development classes to senior engineers and designers. And if this is your first time listening to the BrainStars podcast, we make sure you understand what's going on in the tech world, not only so you could break in, but also so you could level up and hear about programs like CodePath so you can continue to accelerate and learn and break in and level up and become a master of whatever it is that you're trying to master uh, so you could either continue working a job or start your own thing. Um, Some of their partners include Facebook, Dropbox, Walmart, Andreessen, Y Combinator, Designer Fund, and all kinds of other things like that, but we'll talk more about CodePath in a second, but did you hear that stat? 80% of underrepresented college students who start a computer science degree will leave computer science before graduating. That's crazy. We got to do better, people. And if you want to do better, you better listen to this episode. You better tell your friends. Spread the word to all your colleges, all your educators, all your friends that are in school now trying to learn because we want to make sure that, that everybody wins. I mean, I know it sounds very egalitarian, very altruistic, but it's true. This is a family. Like, don't you want your brothers and sisters and and everybody else, however they identify to win? I do. I know you do. We all in here. And if you want to tell people that you're on this journey, join the Breaking Stars community and introduce yourself on Facebook. Like our Facebook page, leave leave a review. Um, What else can you do? You could email me, Arthur T. Moore Patrick at breakingthestars.com. Me, if you want to know who me is, my name is Ruben, R-U-B-E-N. We out here. And without further ado, let's break in. Shout out to Miranda and Jules and everybody else on the team. Let's go. Growing up, we're told that in order to be successful, you need to be a banker, a doctor, or a lawyer. That's what the gatekeepers want you to think. But we're part of something bigger. We're part of a technological revolution. Either you're at the table or on the table. Get in the end. 10x yo 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 this is ruben harris i'm here with the homies archer and timo meister and this is the breaking stars podcast archer can you please tell the people what we're doing today yeah today we're recording at a really awesome co-working space called founders den and we're in the heart of soma where pretty much all the major startups are and what's special about founders then is that a lot of big companies started here like docker revel systems august automatic locks and many others there's also a number of venture capitalists and Angelus that are based out of here, like Gil Pincino's Angelus Syndicate and Charles Hudson's Precursor Ventures. And this is a really awesome space. And we have a special guest that we're very excited to bring to you guys. So Ruben, can you please introduce the guest? Yes, I can introduce the guest. I'm really excited about this conversation with Michael Ellison, not just because he is also a twin, but also <laughs> because we're talking about code path that's been a huge inspiration to Breaking and Stars for a long time because they're lean and mean. They're a team of five people and they are creating the largest pipeline of software engineers in history. For those of you that don't know a little bit about their traction, 
They work with over 850 of the top tech companies. They've been in existence for four years, starting off training senior professional engineers and have trained over 2,500, but they're also the most popular Android resource on the internet. In case you haven't seen their GitHub, they have over 20,000 stars with over 500,000 developers using their resource every month. And in fact, they've redesigned onboarding programs for companies like Facebook and Airbnb, where 25% of their engineers have been taught by their program. Recently, they launched something called Copath.org that is powering underserved schools with coding curriculum. And to date, they have worked with over 30 schools, 1,200 students, and more. Michael is not from the Bay. He is actually from Maine. And a lot of people don't break into Silicon Valley from Maine. So he's going to tell us all about that and more. But before doing that, Michael, welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. <laughs> Happy to be here. So before you joined Copath, I know you broke into tech before and you spent some time recruiting. So tell us that story. Okay. So I've been working in and around startups for probably the past 12 years, more than mm-hmm. 12 years. Mm-hmm. And I've done everything from nonprofit side of education, technology startups to venture-backed companies. Came out here back in 2011 via a uh, accelerator called Y Combinator. Kind of played like every single role in a startup from like being a founder to business development to, you know, product manager to at one point they made me a CTO and that probably wasn't the the smartest thing to do, but kind of like everything I could do in order to try to be part of the tech ecosystem. But, you know, coming out to Silicon Valley really changed everything because, you know, it can be a bit of a hustle when you're in a smaller ecosystem where tech is not the norm. And then when you come out to a place where there's a lot more opportunities, then it can be transformational. So, yeah. Yeah. And you were at an executive recruiting firm called Riviera Partners. Is that correct? Yes. What is Riviera Partners and what was your experience there? Riviera Partners is the top technical recruiting firm in the Valley, especially for more senior executive engineering placements. So last time I checked, which a couple of years ago, they're probably doing better now. They're doing like 70% plus of the vice president of engineering placements at high growth venture back startups. Wow. Valley. Wow. So you know something about recruiting and inequity. And I remember when I first moved to the Bay, People kept bringing up your main. We met through Jules. What Jules. was that event about? Yeah. Jules is involved uh, with Copath some kind of way too, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we met through Jules initially. He actually contacted me when he was trying to break into startups, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, years ago as a product manager. It's kind of crazy that he had a pretty incredible background, you know, over at, went to MIT undergrad, Harvard business school, actually came initially out of Haiti and just kind of like, you know, really worked hard to get there, but I still had a hard time breaking in. Yeah. Shout out to Jules. And so you have this background where you broke into tech, you worked in all these different things, but then you joined Copath. Why did you join Copath and what's the story of how Copath came into existence? Well, you know, Copath was founded by two incredibly talented engineers who were previously like founders of this venture back start called Miso. Miso was actually Google Ventures' first seed investment. After that was acquired, Nathan Esquinazzi and Tim Lee, the two Copath founders, they had a lot of found frustration when they were building their startup around like senior engineers learning new technologies. So when you're trying to master a new topic, like you're not just trying to learn the basics, and especially when it's a cutting edge technology, 
it can be really challenging to understand like kind of where the industry is going. You end up wasting a lot of time on say like, you know, Stack Overflow posts that are actually like inaccurate. You may have like a blog post, but it's very quickly out of date. So they actually wanted to create an accelerated path for people who are already experts to become expert in a new technology because that's their background and that's kind of you know what they identified with. I actually connected with them when I was at Riviera Partners. And this was kind of like an experiment, right? We were trying to figure out if there's a way that we could provide really high quality free education for engineers. And we wondered if that learning opportunity could attract the best of the best. And then there you know, could be a business model as part of that, you know, if it's recruiting firm, kind of makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So when you started off, you didn't actually have an official role. You all were just kind of like working together informally. I mean, I, I was technically kind of like an investor. <laughs> yeah. That- Riviera was, you know, they're very generous and they helped us to fund this as kind of this like side experiment, side project where we thought that, you know, the best education could lead to the best opportunities. Yeah. So my first role with them was I was helping to fund and create the first iteration of wow. uh, CoPath courses. And here's another interesting data point. So Elena Percival, the CEO of Women Who Code, she was actually working at <laughs> Riviera at the time. I was helping her to help Women Who Code become a nonprofit. And it was actually the four of us that initially got together and created CodePath which when we launched our first free coding class for experienced engineers, we had like 50, 60% women. That was like the very starting point because of Elena, you know, with wow. women who code. And, yeah. and then, you know, it was kind of like this really incredible team. Awesome. Which makes sense, which like you have, you're on the board of women who code, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And so, you know, CodePath was created. Maybe take a step back. What is CodePath? What's the CodePath vision? in layman's terms so people understand where we are and what we're talking about. CodePath is a coding boot camp that specializes in training senior engineers in cutting edge technologies. You know, over the past couple years, different than other boot camps, like most of our business, how we sustain ourselves has been teaching engineers at the best technology companies in the world, redesigning, onboarding, continue education for places from Facebook to Dropbox to Box to YouTube to Airbnb, and just the list goes on and on. And we've been able to enjoy a very close relationship with industry where we pretty much pick whoever we want to work with. And we end up working very, very closely with our most senior engineering executives. Our vision, I mean, we're educators. We're educators. We care about as many people as possible reaching professional mastery in engineering. It's not just exposure. It's what's the entire end-to-end journey so that you can become the best of the best. You can lead engineering teams. That's that's what we're trying to do. And our vision is actually to change technical education across every place that it's taught on the professional level, from K through 12 to universities. We think that the way that you become a professional engineer right now, the way you achieve mastery is kind of random. It's by luck. You know, Who were your parents? Were they technical? Where did you grow up? Did you grow up in a place where you had access to resources? Did your high school offer CS? Did you go to a program that your college had kind of the right people to mentor you, the right types of professors at the right time. And for us, that just seems a lot of happenstance. We think that there could be dramatically more people who could become great engineers who could participate in the technology sector if there's a more structured path that was based on great teaching principles. And, you know, we think that it could be like very, very enjoyable for many more people to well, yeah. essentially achieve that. Yeah. And a lot of the times when someone hears the word coding bootcamp, they kind of assume that it's someone who's like junior just coming out of a coding bootcamp, but now they're applying for all these companies. 
in your case, it's actually very different. It's people who already have experience, right? And they're trying to master a new technology. And you're helping those folks kind of bridge the gap to meet the bar of these really top companies like Amazon, Netflix, Facebook. So can you talk more about that structure? And then also, I know you have a unique like model in terms of tuition and how people get accepted. Can you also talk about that as well? Yeah. First off, like some of the alumni, right? So I mentioned this is a program for like engineers who are trying to become the best of the best. A lot of very ambitious engineers. The current CEO and founder of Reddit, Steve Hoffman, he's a Copath alumni. There's a Raylene Young, who's a VP of engineering over at Stripes, a Copath alumni. So the common thread here are people who just, they never want to stop learning. As an engineer, you need to kind of have that mindset to really rise to the highest levels. And Copath has always been a free program. We actually don't believe in charging for education. We don't believe in having any barriers. When I talked about us having a, creating a journey and a path for professional mastery, then we want that to be accessible by as many people as possible. And having any type of fear or charging any amount of money can prevent people. And also, you know, if somebody does feel like they're really good at teaching themselves, they're just not going to pick your course. There's a very practical reason we started this way. We didn't want to have like a $100 fee and then, you know, founder of Red doesn't want to take their course because <laughs> <laughs> they're too proud. Of and, you know, how the program is set up is think of it almost kind of like a college course, right? You're meeting like twice a week and it's just a couple hours. We actually have a program structured so that you're a full-time engineer. Everybody is employed. So they have their day job. Nights and weekends, they're doing co-path, you know, 10 to 20 hours plus. It's really hard to get into our program, not because we're elite, but because we believe that there's the right pacing of the curriculum that's right for the background. Yeah, I mentioned we work with a lot of different top companies. With every company we work with, we try to make sure that there's very, very high completion rate, but we do a very good job of making sure that each assignment takes like a certain number of hours for you to complete because we've correlated that with a certain level of like satisfaction. And we ideally want to get to a point where you're so excited about taking every single assignment because it's, you know, it's not too hard. It's not too easy. It's kind of the perfect pacing. And we found that that leads to a certain level of almost like obsession with learning. We try to like have a really optimized learning experience. We think, you know, you can do a lot better of making people like really, really excited to learn something challenging. Yeah, no, that's dope. And, and so Art and Timor, they went to coding boot camps and a lot of people are going to coding boot camps. So like Timor brought up, they get this misconception for being junior engineers. Some people that have worked for one to three years still are trying to level up. And you're saying you guys have this high bar. What are some things you've seen people do to prepare to get into a CodePath program? The average participant in CodePath has like five or six years of professional development experience. Mm-hmm. In order to get into a course, it's, it's pretty simple. We, we actually don't look at like any th- aspect of your background. There's no like algorithms or dash. There's nothing like that that you need to pass or any hoops to jump through there. It's just like a project. It's building a tip calculator that you know could be like iOS or Android. And we're just looking at how deep you're going to go. Maybe the secret, I don't know if I should share <laughs> this, but maybe the secret is that what we care most about is grit. And regardless of your actual level of ability, we want to see people who love to do more than what's the minimums. So we'll say, okay, well, here's required. Here's optional components of yeah. this tip calculator. And people who end up getting into the course are probably senior engineers putting 20, 30 hours into this yeah. project. Yeah. So we didn't even ask them to. We said, hey, like, you know, put in three yeah. or four if you want. And there's a strong correlation with the people that we love to teach and the people who just want to do anything to go very, very deep in the technology. Yeah. 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 
I think there's something else that's super special about your program is that half the class is employees at those companies and the other half is open to the public, right? So the students actually get to interact with the engineers and kind of assimilate before they even get to the interview or get to graduate. They get to work with those folks and kind of get a deeper understanding of what it's like working for that company, working in the industry. Can you talk a little bit more about the structure of the curriculum and how the teams work? All of our courses are sponsored by top technology companies. Facebook's currently sponsoring a few on their campus right now. They graduate on November 15th, where there'll be a demo day. You can ping Breaking into Startups if you, you know, want an invite to check that out. And then before that, there was Intuit, there was Netflix, there was Airbnb, there was Uber. So they sponsor the courses. Mm-hmm. Some of their engineers also participate in the courses. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of see where you stack up against like all these people that are at the most competitive companies. Then there's also, you know, we invite them to be design mentors and engineering mentors. There's not a disconnect between Copath and the industry. We are on site and then they have their experts participating in the courses and taking the courses with the students. And we feel like that's how we can make sure we have the right level of trust with, with companies. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's really interesting because like when you have these people that are, you know, either employees or people that have come in to and got it into your program, you've over the last four years been able to see a lot of different applications and you've noticed a lot of trends when it comes to technical ability where sometimes the resume looks stronger than actual ability and you're starting to create this apples to apples like assessment that is starting to become more powerful and giving you the ability to like even reverse hiring decisions sometimes. So can you talk a little bit about that? Ruben, this isn't sometimes, this is actually really strange. This is a crazy thing. So you'd expect if someone has all the signals on their resume, you know, MIT, and then they have like Microsoft, I was at Twitter, I was at Facebook, you'd expect that they would be the highest performers in the course, right? Like, and that's just kind of not the case. We've, engineers are going through, you know, on top of their full-time job, there's like a hundred plus hours. So we have a hundred plus hours of this person doing like real work experience. And Mm -hmm. then multiply that by we have like over 2,500 professional engineering alumni just looking at in the Bay Area. This is across 800 companies, as you kind of mentioned before. And so so then you have like a really clear picture of, of there's this huge range of variability of actual skills on the job skills. And we also do this like, you know, free interview prep and, and testing for engineers in the program where we see how well they'll perform in interviews. And the startling thing is that you have a lot of people that have these incredible backgrounds that actually are pretty lazy on the job. They're mm-hmm. smart, right? Mm-hmm. They're really good from like a test or like a you know, timed coding challenge. Mm-hmm. But when you actually put them on the job, like maybe they're, you know, it could be like team collaboration. They're combative. They have huge egos. They aren't good with working with others. In other situations, they're actually like, we've seen people, they can't code. They're in Google, right? They can't, they literally like the basic they struggle with. And then we see these other examples of people that come out of nowhere. Like we had a couple of recent hires at some of the companies I mentioned before that sponsored boot camps. And, you know, maybe their program's not that impressive. They're kind of working mother and then they're trying to break into tech. And then they end up being the top performer in the class. Yeah. And they're running circles around engineers that have a much more impressive resume. So this is actually one of the biggest issues we see in the valley is there's this false positive where you're kind of given the benefit of the doubt, maybe partially because of your network or partially because of where you've been in the past, then 
you're able to like pass some technical screens and get into the a mm-hmm. company. And then there's also the false negatives, which really, really hurts underrepresented groups where you know you actually could be an outlier in terms of how much better you are than the norm inside of the company. But the companies aren't actually measuring how good you are on the job. They're measuring how well you do in an interview. It's mm-hmm. a different thing. It's think of it as like measuring the SAT versus measuring like, you know, specifically like, you know, how good you are at closing sales or doing yeah. some other specific skill. And and this is an issue that we kind of go to bat. The trust that we have with companies has, has allowed us, as you said, Ruben, to be able to reverse hiring decisions at some places. There are some companies that we actually have relationships with where you can actually skip the interview. Yeah. They'll just be like, oh, okay, you guys are you guys are co-path people and you have the recommendation. We are careful about yeah. doing that, but there's a huge opportunity for Silicon Valley, which, you know, breaking into startups, you guys are trying to address where they can do a better job of hiring. They can increase their diversity, but, you know, it's actually going to raise the bar yeah, instead yeah. of lower the bar. I mean, we've seen the same thing where, you know, a lot of organizations, like they're relying off of where somebody worked before versus what they can actually do. So it's awesome that, you know, you notice those same type of trends. And I know that in the pre-chat when we were talking about what you're working on, you're also serving not just these senior engineers, you're serving these underrepresented schools. And it's interesting because when it comes to campus recruiting, we also work with a lot of them and they always focus on these top 10 schools or they focus on HBCUs, which is awesome, or they start talking about thinking about community colleges, but sometimes the schools aren't prepared. So, so tell us a little bit more about how you're thinking about junior engineers. Yeah, I mean, this started with we have a pretty diverse program on the senior engineering level. Like of the thousands of engineers I mentioned, our blind selection process to get in, you have like around 40%, which are senior female engineers, mm-hmm. 10 to 15% engineers of color in our programs. And that's surprising and that's interesting. But when you dive into a lot of the stories, a lot of it is based on inequity, right? They went to a school that wasn't one of those top 10, top 25. They end up going into company that's not bad, but it's just, you know, it doesn't put you on the breakout trajectory. And so that problem exists at the end. You know, these are already experienced engineers. And we wondered about, you know, if, you know, what's happening in like colleges and universities and across these different programs, because, you know, we've seen that talent tends to be kind of universal. Talent is everywhere. And, but we're wondering why we keep seeing these great engineers that aren't ending up in the top spots all the time. We started to do experiments on universities. One of the programs that we actually run is an internship program for Facebook. So it's called Facebook University, designed the curriculum. We actually, they changed their assessment around and leverage our assessment in order to make full-time offers. And so we decided to start taking these programs, these internship programs, put them directly on colleges and universities, but focused on colleges and universities where there were in underserved communities and there are high numbers of underrepresented groups. and. After having done this for like a couple of years and kind of just looked at the spectrum, we've discovered that, well, there's a lot of incredibly talented people that aren't given an opportunity in Silicon Valley. And, you know, part of it's access. There's some really great organizations, I think, that are really focusing on like the networking piece. There's a little bit of like interview preparation, but we also uncovered that the quality of the CS programs across these schools also requires a lot of support. So, Think of it the difference between I do like a workshop or a series of workshops versus I have a multi-year gap, depending upon like when my exposure was. I'll give you guys a pretty specific mm-hmm. example. One of the schools we're working with is City College of New York. Mm-hmm. And there was a CoPath alumni there, 
Chantelle Levy, and she received her first laptop when she was 19 years old. Mm-hmm. She started coding when she was 20 years old. Mm-hmm. And she's taking a program. She, you know, she has an aptitude for technology. And how is she supposed to compete with somebody that, you know, their parents are engineers and they've been coding since they were like eight Mm -hmm. years old. So she's taken a couple of our programs. We've been putting like iOS courses, security courses, interview prep courses on directly at these schools and convinced professors to be offering this for course credit. And she's now having an internship over at Facebook Mm -hmm. this this next semester. So this is a school that Facebook doesn't go to. You know, it's not part of their targets for sourcing or whatever. But then now they are, we're able to bridge a gap based on just taking the curriculum we're teaching at Facebook and then able to transfer this opportunities to people who, you know, otherwise, I mean, they're not going to be able to make it there. Yeah. And, and it's really important work, not just because you're making sure that school systems don't fail by making sure that they're prepared with the latest technologies that the companies are looking for. But you also mentioned a pretty surprising stat. Like we know that about 50,000 computer science engineers graduate every year. Mm-hmm. But you said something about the number of minorities that are in these programs, something about rates that drop out. So what was that? Okay. So first off, like CS education is just broken in the United States. Probably like globally, it, it's not great, but currently 80% of students that start underrepresented groups that end up starting a CS degree, they don't complete. You know, yeah. that's just like, you know, a ridiculous attrition rate. It's that much better for, you know, any type of group, you're looking around 60% students end up dropping out of CS programs in wow. general. And so, you know, we chat a lot about like, how can we increase diversity or, you know, we're talking a lot about like, you know, stat you mentioned, we're looking at like a million job shortfall by 2020 with, you know, needing skills of students majoring in computer science. The thing is though, we have like a broken pipeline. So many people who have aptitude, they end up going into like an intro to CS course, right? And some are spending 80 hours on assignments. Some are spending two hours based on previous experience and familiarity. And we just think that's okay. It's obviously not okay. There's a lot that we can do to just impact the support and the connection to the industry to add curriculum that's actually like engaging, exciting. And also, maybe one of the biggest things that CodePath provides is actually a technology platform for professors and TAs to use that makes it so that they're able to deliver extremely high quality student experience by just leveraging like our alumni network and, and everything else. Yeah, those are great stats and we've definitely seen similar things. And you and I were recently at a CBC roundtable where we were talking about the billions of dollars that are being spent on these diversity and inclusion issues, but numbers aren't really moving. You know how a lot of them go towards events, but you've seen similar things that we've seen, but I'm not going to speak for you. Like, what are some things that you've seen about like, where the dollars are going and like the elephant in the room that nobody talks about. I mean, there's definitely investment in like events and PR and there are certain events that every tech company is sponsoring. They're good events, right? It's good to sponsor Grace Mm -hmm. Hopper, you know, just like, you know, how many millions of dollars will you pour into that event and then not hire any additional people from underrepresented groups? Mm -hmm. Some of the areas like I've seen tech companies, maybe they're going to university like Howard University, right? Mm -hmm. And they didn't hire anybody the last year. So their strategy is to send recruiters on planes like five, six more times Mm -hmm. in like the next year and then still hire nobody because they still have the same like technical screens. There's still the same gaps that exist on campus. So you have this thing in the tech industry where 
companies are just becoming more aggressive at competing to the same students. Mm-hmm. Then you also have like other stuff where they're kind of like not questioning like core aspects of even like why people are not, say, able to pass their technical bar mm-hmm. to begin with. Yeah. You have another thing that's happening, which this is maybe the biggest thing that's pulling in budget is you have programs that were started years ago that will receive more and more funding every year because, you know, maybe internal politics, champions, teams, they're not demonstrating outcomes because the tech companies are not more diverse, Mm -hmm. but they just keep having more and more money and pick any of the big tech companies. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of stuff that they're already doing that's Mm -hmm. not working. Mm -hmm. That is, you know, yeah. Yeah. They're doubling down on that. And there's just, but it also prevents organizations trying to do something a little bit different, you know, mm-hmm. like a breaking in startups from yeah. being able to, you know, they, they're not experimenting. They're yeah. kind of just like, they're conservative, but then they're kind of keeping the things. Yeah. yeah. How and many I, people did you hire? Right. Yeah. And I yeah. think you bring up a really good point about the hiring bar. And a lot of companies think that like their assessment that they have internally, like that represents the hiring bar that their engineers need to meet. And if the, anyone fails to meet that bar, then they're just not a good engineer. Like, what are your thoughts on that process? And what do you think companies need to be aware of when they come to assessing candidates? I would say the way companies are assessing you know, various technical roles, they've kind of inherited it from like older companies assessing technical roles. And I empathize a lot with them having a small amount of time to try to process a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So I understand why that's the case. But I question a lot of things that companies are doing. Each hoop that you have somebody jump through, how well does that correlate to the actual on-the-job performance? Mm-hmm. Dissect each of the different pieces of your screen. If you have a whiteboarding interview, have you been able to show from a like data-driven standpoint that part of your process helps you to make better hiring decisions? That's not the case. You know, companies, uh, you know, from Google to many others have published reports saying that like, you know, whiteboarding will not correlate to the top performers. But they just kind of accept it. They don't question mm-hmm. that. And I just, from a very high level standpoint, I'm just, and we talk about this a lot with CodePath, like your screen should try to replicate the on-job descriptions as much as possible mm-hmm. on the job performance and be trying to like compare apples to apples versus imagine how ridiculous it is if I'm like, oh, hey, Ruben, let's play chess. <laughs> and then you're like, why are we playing chess right now? Well, you know, I want to see if, if, you know, you'll be a good spokesperson. Yep. And I think spokespeople have to be smart. So therefore, play. You know. yes, show yeah, me it's, how it's just, it doesn't really make sense. There are some extreme examples where you hear stuff like that in the Valley. You know, it, it needs to match. I, I'd also recommend, you know, have more of a role specific evaluation versus like a general, like you're at this high bar. Yeah. type of standpoint. Like be- every single engineer who's going to be applying for various roles, maybe front end, back end infrastructure, like just everyone has to pass the same bar, which is not accurate, right? Because if you're, if you're a really good front engineer, you're inherently, your skill set is going to be entirely different than uh, someone who is a really good back end engineer because you guys just spend in different worlds. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's really weird. We've seen tech companies like they have a certain way that they are evaluating your experience which then it's not really the recruiters. The recruiters are just kind of following the directions and you know, there's all these rules of how you process people, but then they'll just throw you into an interview that, you know, you're it may not be related to what you're doing on the job even. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's more of, you know, kind of like this general screen, which the general screens tend to predict whether you like the type of CS school you went to versus, you know, if you're a great on the job engineer. Yeah. What are some of the biggest biases that you've uncovered from some of the largest tech companies without naming them? I'll pick a couple different areas. One is we've done like 
experiments internally. Like we'll say, okay, this is a core, you know, internal training, right? Here's a course and it's to level up and be able to have access to this new technology opportunity. It could be maybe like backend engineers can switch to the mobile team. We've done like an open call across the company. Anyone can apply. And then through like a project-based process, then you're able to kind of prove that you're, that you're a good fit for the course, right? You Normally, companies will identify people for promotions or opportunities or work on certain projects based on managers uh, selecting individuals. There's one company we did this. They had over 300 applications for the course. We stack ranked everybody. I didn't look at where their backgrounds were. And then there was like about 60% women that ended up being the top performers. And then we asked managers across the company to also select people. And then it was about 100% men that they chose. And But this is an organization that is investing in all the diversity inclusion trainings. They feel like they're a front runner in the industry. Other companies are like trying to follow in their footsteps and yeah. they're like, yeah, we're doing it right. Culture's good. And, and, but you kind of see bias happen yeah. like all over the place. And I mean, it's a really, really hard thing yeah. to address and deal with. It, companies are often not aware of that. I don't actually have a solution for that one. Yeah. I think, you know, maybe my recommendation is you provide opportunities for people to stand out in a, a more systematic way yeah. that doesn't rely on like relationships or like who, you know, and like all that stuff, you know, some of the other kind of, uh, miss that companies have is, you know, the current company that you're at, you know, what does a recruiter look at? They look at your current company. They look at the school that you've gone through. They look at like career trajectory Mm -hmm. and you basically fall into a certain mode or you could be just completely discounted. I mean, this is just, you know, companies over bias in favor of signals. Again, I actually don't want to blame companies. I think they don't have a better way to assess. Yeah. 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 I think they would love to find that, but they don't really have the signal that they can rely on that's more reliable than yeah. uh, their existing signals. Tell us a little bit more about your board members and advisors and why you chose them. Well, the first board member we've added, we're pretty small right now. And Copath.org is actually like still in the early stages where I guess not really officially launched. We're just you know working really hard to build something that's very transformational across colleges and universities. But first board member we added is a a guy by the name of Adam Pisoni. Mm-hmm. He was a CTO and co-founder of Yammer that then was acquired by Microsoft. Before that, you know, has just been like an engineer, pretty reputable places. We added him and everybody that we're going to add is going to be deeply, deeply passionate about education, deeply, deeply passionate about impacting underrepresented groups. And they want to have a legacy of changing the industry. For us, it's, it's not really enough to kind of be like, you know, working with a couple of hundred, say, underrepresented groups every year where we're trying to build something that's scalable, that impacts the existing infrastructure across colleges and universities, but then also is something that is catalyst for change for technology companies. Yeah. Yeah. The reason I bring it up is because a lot of people, when they ask us about like which diversity organizations are doing it right, which ones are getting traction, and you talked a little bit about your demographics, but you all I continuously like point to as like an example of people that aren't necessarily a diversity inclusion organization, but you all have a pretty nice selection of people to choose from in that regard. And do you have high level insight, a little bit deeper insight on like your demographics? Yeah. I mean, I was mentioned on the senior level and then, you know, the college level, senior level, I think I mentioned this before around like 40% like uh, female engineers. So senior female engineers. Yeah, flex. Uh, 
So, you know, most people talk, I'm talking like, you know, six years plus or, you know, leads to uh, managers and then 10 to 15% engineers of color, you know, that's, that's a decent number. And then on the college level, I think we're around between 30 and 40% underrepresented groups. Yeah. And I don't have stats for the breakdown off the top of my head. Okay. Yeah. And Mike, what I like what you guys are doing is you're very data driven. And I think that actually gives you guys a big advantage because what you were saying with recruiters is they're doing the best job they can evaluating the signals that someone might have on their resume. But the advantage that you have is that you have, you can see someone's track record going from like the initial assessment to someone taking the course and then applying for jobs. And you're almost assembling like a Monubolt to make a sports reference, like what the Monubolt team did, where they use data to create a rockstar team versus just looking at what the top players in the industry. Like so the, what the Warriors did too. Yeah. So <laughs> when it comes to when it comes to your I guess assessment or the data points that you track, I think that can actually help a lot of companies become aware that those are the signals that could help them make better decisions. So can you share some of the data points that you track that you found helpful that correlate to someone's ability to perform on the job? Yeah. I actually think that really critical. Companies, they need better signal to change. You can do advocacy and awareness. I think we've done a good job of making them more aware of what's going on. We haven't done a good job of saying, here's a process, here's a roadmap, here's how you do organizational change. And there's been a lot of uh, experiments that they've done that have not worked out. You need to really kind of provide them with the right path. And so I think that the thing that we try to stress the most is like more data, right? You have your existing interviewing screen. Like we're not going to throw that away. You actually can't do that, right? Because then every skeptic, engineering org and and engineering organizations, you have a lot of skeptics, right? You're not being scientific in terms of how you're saying they should change. But if you say, hey, here's additional data points and here's how this relates to what you're currently collecting, I think that's on the right path. Some additional data points we add will be like, we'll look at learning speed. So we have a data set of their existing engineers and we're comparing how quickly these engineers are able to observe, absorb new topics compared to their, you know, people that are on their team. We'll look at like quality and cleanliness. And we have a pretty high bar, which is, again, like our data sets, thousands of engineers. So we're just kind of looking at the average. And based on, you know, the amount of time that they're spending to complete a project and also weighting that against the quality of the project they're completing. And then also kind of this, it's almost this completion bias of they're doing way more than their peers. That's optional. They higher level of a kind of perfectionism. Then we'll say, okay, so that means that this individual based on all these criteria, which uh, you would value as in your best engineers, we would say maybe this person is like in a 90th percentile at this type of company, like a Walmart, or this person is like a 80th percentile in like a Google or, you know, we can be pretty specific because there's just enough individuals that have gone through the program. And I would say like, I don't think, you know, we're perfect, but we have seen like a certain career trajectory where our alumni tend to lead engineering teams and not just be like individual contributors. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's super unique compared to everything else that's available in the market because a typical interview might take, let's say, 10 hours total, right? But your course is 100 hours plus, and they have to actually complete real-world assignments. They have to demonstrate learning, the speed, the quality of their work, their attitude, completion. And so 
in those 100 hours, by collecting all these data points, I think the fact that you could predict their kind of what percentile they fall in relation to your current employees is really special and unique because you're not looking at their backgrounds. You're not looking at the biases that typically go into effect. You're looking at raw data and saying, hey, we know that traditionally your engineers are performing at this level and this person doesn't have any of the characteristics on paper, but based on their results, based on their work, they're actually outperforming your average, right? Yeah. And that's a very unique way to change the pipeline power. Yeah. And, and to follow up on that, like, in addition to tracking all those things, you also track other qualitative things that are related to community building. Like you all are five people, but you have an army that's kind of building with you, similar like how we're building a community and you track things like the people that want to volunteer and mentor and things like that. So how does that come into play with CodePath? Oh yeah. This is maybe just like a bias of the two founders. They have always loved mentoring. They've always loved teaching and they bias in favor of kind of giving people extra points. The initial application process, if they also have those mentoring and and teaching personalities. So like one of the questions that they ask is like, are you likely to give back to the engineering community? Do you aspire to when you think of career progression for engineers, how do you become a great manager? How do you become like a director? Getting to higher and higher levels is about you being able to impact the people on your team. Like they're able to learn from you. Um, you're able to like influence and help others teach. You can maybe eventually like teach teachers, teach others how to then teach what you know, transfer your expertise so it's not siloed just within you. So it's consistent with us wanting to create people who become uh, masters of technology that they also will have personalities that they want to share, you know, personalize. It could be related to like documentation and open source and building something and other people are able to leverage that. It could be related to actually like, you know, public speaking, making sure more and more people can understand what you're doing. So that's just like a kind of a core value, like a strong bias. And then we also try to push engineers to also participate. Our alumni community, you know, CodePath powers the what we do on college campuses where we have, you know, 60 to 100 professional engineers are providing like this constant support for students across these colleges and universities. So they're directly, you know, you're getting your homework questions answered by like engineers at like Facebook or Airbnb or at like different high growth startups, which we think is necessary because, you know, if you don't have access to mentors, if you don't have access to people who are existing experts, how are you going to become an expert yourself? Yeah. 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 No, that's dope. And did we touch on how many, the the length of the courses on those campuses? Did we talk about that? Uh, I'm not sure. They're, they're 12 weeks long. We're pretty specific with how they are executed. So what makes it interesting, I think, is not that we have programs on college campuses. It's actually not even that we are taking courses from the industry. What makes it interesting is that the program is like very, very scalable because of how we leverage existing resources. And not just that, but there's an actual learning platform that we've created that allow us to deliver our program, like having maybe one or two people run our entire program and uh, deliver that to 1,000 plus students and have like more uniform execution across all of these different college campuses. And we like to measure satisfaction with the students. We try to make this be the best course they've ever taken even though we're delivering it remotely. Yeah. And I think our net promoter score is often used to measure products. I think we yeah. average around like, you know, beating the Apple AirPods is kind of... <laughs> <laughs> we have a pretty high bar for how much students need to enjoy the courses. But the thing is this being done at scale and yeah. comparable programs spend 
probably like 25 times the wow. program costs that wow. we have per student, yeah. but they don't even have the same outcomes. Scalable and affordable. Love it. And before talking about like what we expect to see from Copath or what you expect to see from Copath over the next few years, you touched on how Android, you all are the most popular Android resource. What other resources have become these like things that are used by large companies or that people use all over the world now that Copath has created? Yeah. I mean, there's just a couple of core technologies right now. We have specialized in mobile. So like iOS development, Android development, but multiple levels for multiple audiences for multiple countries. Including designers too, right? Yeah. Yeah. We've done a lot of teaching designers how to be able to natively prototype. We've taught Lyft's entire product and design team. We actually interviewed oh. Vicky Tran, who took CodePath for designers. Yep. Ah, yeah, okay. she was there. Yeah. Yeah. So we think of it like a course needs to be very specific to the audience. So we have a small number of technologies, but we have a large number of audiences. And it's about just optimizing that and funnel completion rate, proficiency, satisfaction. That's what we care about. And we also have, uh, we're in development of a React curriculum. We, our courses on colleges and universities, we want to go earlier and work with more audiences. So we need to worry about things like, you know, the computing power of a laptop. What type of laptop do they have? Do they have a Mac or Windows or what, what, what type are they using? So we're, expanding our catalog so that we can reach more and more people in more and more places. We run some courses in Haiti, which is kind of like an experiment. And, you know, it's really hard to students when their computer just like can't cut it. React is one. And then we also are going to be moving into basically every cutting edge technology that the, the, you know, students need to have as like a driving skill in the future from like understanding of like VR to like artificial intelligence. This is where a close connection to industry helps us to put this on campuses. And then the schools where we're putting this on, may, you know, many of the professors are, may, you know, they don't have a background in industry. Yeah. So we're just providing something missing. Yeah. Awesome. So what should we expect from Copath over the next few years? So over the course of the next couple of years, you're going to see Codepath scale the number of colleges and universities. And the reason I keep saying colleges and universities is because we're in community colleges, we're in state schools, we're in, you know, we're in some of the top CS programs, which is beneficial because we're kind of working with everyone that allows us to be a reliable signal to companies. So you'll see us moving into ideally thousands of schools over the next couple of years. And I would say we would actually love to even help colleges and universities start CS programs eventually. We could provide everything. So it, right now, if a professor is working with us, imagine it's like the easiest class that the professor's ever taught, like easier than teaching an independent study, wow. and yet it's producing the best outcomes that they've ever had. That's awesome. Um, and so, so we're providing a path where colleges can actually like upgrade yeah. um, and, what they're teaching. And to give perspective on that for the people that, that aren't familiar, I mean, we're in California that has over 100 community colleges. You mentioned there's a million you know, jobs that are going to require these skills in the future. But those community colleges in California alone represent 2 million people. And then you said thousands of colleges. So just the point is that you guys are going to make a huge impact when it comes to this type of stuff. So we're really excited about it and we'll yeah. do whatever we can to support you. So team, will take us away. Yeah, Mike. So I'm sure you've listened to our podcast. And at this point, we do the lightning round. So this is where we're looking for advice to help people become more like yourself, break into tech, level up. And basically just find their dream jobs and have successful careers. So with that said, Arthur, take it away. 
Yeah. So this question takes us back to the basics. And you're someone who broke into tech from an entrepreneurial background. And you like hustled, you broke in, and now you're helping others break in as well. So imagine you move to a brand new city, you don't know anyone, and you only have $100, and you're starting from scratch on your way into startups. So what would you do and how would you spend that $100? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I need $100, but let's see. I think I'll give you an example of what I did way back in the day. (laughs) Yeah, let's hear it. So, you know, I started a nonprofit and Mm -hmm. I was like 20 years old, Mm -hmm. came from a low income background, was actually, you know, homeless at one point growing up. Mm -hmm. And when I got into college, I wanted to start a tech company. I didn't have any connections. Mm -hmm. So I started to identify conferences by places that had money. I was naive. I didn't know anything. But just like whoever looked like they would know something. Mm -hmm. I'd show up to a conference, try to figure out if I could like talk my way in or people Mm -hmm. are walking the door. And if no wonder have, we get along. <laughs> if you have break into conferences, <laughs> if you have a focus and you have an enthusiasm, you didn't say where we are, but you know, it, like people will talk to you, yeah, and they'll listen. If you're like, I'm hungry, then you know this is it could be cold calling. One point, I was like cold calling Goldman Sachs, random people dialing there. They have like a dial code thing, and I was just randomly calling mm-hmm. people. And then I just kept being like, Hey, can someone get me into this like ed tech conference? And They'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll connect you. Like eventually somebody picked up and eventually someone's like, yeah, 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 we can connect you with, with uh, you know, this person. And then they transferred me to a department and then eventually was able to connect. So I actually think the most critical thing is connecting with the right people that can set you on the right trajectory to increase your chances of luck. Yeah. And like I didn't have any money at all, but I, you know, could dial a phone and or I could show up at a place mm-hmm. or I could, you know, it's awkward stuff, right? Like. I might see Eric Reese in a coffee shop and then mm-hmm. I like go up and I'd be like, oh, hey, what's <laughs> up, Eric? Like, <laughs> exactly. Hey, I'm trying to, you know, there's a lot of rejection, but if you can kind of get past that, I see like one mistake people maybe don't think about how important it is to connect with people who are just like super driven and like-minded. And if there's one thing that I've done that I've been fortunate, it's just that I've been able to find people who are way better than me and find a way that to convince them to work with me. Yeah, and that uh, value to their team. Yeah, yeah. And, and maybe a, like, I don't know, four or five startups, something like that at this point. One of the startups, the person was this very influential executive, like MTV, Nike, mm-hmm. bunch of different things. And I saw him on Twitter, and then I started to tweet at him, direct <laughs> messages. Mm-hmm. And then he eventually agreed to like grab a coffee with me. And then I'm like, I want to be part of your startup. I want to <laughs> do this. and and he was like, no. <laughs> and then I just started to work with him without him paying me. Yeah. And I just started doing things I thought might be useful. And then after a month of him not paying me, he eventually led me to start to work with him. Yeah. And that became like, you know, the second startup that I ever did. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, you know, money as, I don't know, like if you have a hundred bucks or you don't have a hundred bucks, I mean, there's a lot of, lots of things you can yeah. do, but if you don't have even a hundred dollars, then you can at least show up and you can at least like practice and you yep. can have a pitch and you can go to events and you can be rejected. And then eventually like one out of a number of people is going to chat with you. But, you know, like maybe it's just like, who can you work with? Right. Like mm-hmm. who can you develop skills? Yeah. yeah. Even before coding boot camp, I was chatting with a person who's an aspiring product manager this past weekend. And then I said, well, what about like side projects? You know, mm-hmm. we teach experienced developers and they're always looking for people to work with on side projects. Mm-hmm. 
if you were going to be a recruiter, it, it'd actually be harder. But if you're going to be like, oh, hey, like I have an idea, like would like to hack with some people or like, yeah. to, you know, I'm a domain expert, but maybe I don't have, you know, the technology piece. Would you be interested in chatting? I've been surprised about how interested people are. It's a big deal. You start working with people who complement your skills, understand more about the industry. I mean, there's a big learning path. There yeah. is a access piece to it, but I don't know. Yeah. The money and, thing, I don't know. I never yeah. had any money. And I think that you keep bringing up is that you want to find a way to add value. So even if you're showing up to a conference, if you just ask the person at the front desk, be like, hey, I just moved to a new city, but I'm willing to help out with setting up tables, with maybe just getting your food through the door, helping them. Everyone needs a helping hand. And then once you're in, you'll be able to then take it from there, find out if they know anyone that you can connect with and work your way in. So you just have to get creative and not be able, not be afraid to ask that question. My next question is actually to you. And we have a lot of guests on the podcast and we always like to understand kind of their inner game. How do they find the motivation and the drive to like operate at a very high level? So in your case, can you just talk about some of the things you do on a daily basis to kind of like prioritize your goals and also just to keep your mind fresh and just keep going and operating at a high level? You know, every single day, I just think that I'm very thankful for like everything. And I don't know if it's an exercise, but every single day I'm like thinking about like different things happening, like in the news, like all over the world. And I just remind myself that I'm so lucky. I'm uniquely positioned to be able to do something really impactful. And then there's also just such a, a long way to go. Like, I mean, I think of, uh, I uh, visited Nigeria last year, for example, and one of the biggest challenges that they would describe with breaking into tech is like, mm. we don't have electricity and yeah. power. These were professors at universities, by the way. These weren't even the students yeah. who were having like broken laptops at the hackathon that I was attending. You know, I feel like I'm lucky, I'm fortunate, and I want to see as many people as possible not have to rely on luck in order to be able to break into tech. Yeah, I mean, and to be a successful. Lot of, a lot of luxuries we have. I mean, Puerto Rico is still without power, right? Yes, so it's like exactly. You know, it's a big issues. Speaking of like other countries, and you know, we talk about how tech is taking over a lot of industries, but tech is also global. There's like over five billion people that have smartphones, and we're reaching global connectivity. And CodePath is international. You all do stuff in Taiwan and things like that. So talk about your global perspective when it comes to tech. Oh, well, we've kind of been global since the beginning because the, you know, the resources we've created that we've open sourced are reaching hundreds of thousands, over half a million developers. We think that by sharing and then by these experts, bringing them together and helping them to learn from each other, then we're able to tap into this a layer that then we can then give back to any community. And so we've actually developed kind of a, or we're developing a model for how we might impact, say, like, a, you know, developing countries and newer tech ecosystems, where we start by having our programming for the senior most experts. But as a part of kind of our curriculum, there's a heavy emphasis on giving back and helping to support others. So instead of starting from like, here's beginners and then trying to teach beginners, but then there's, there's no jobs, there's no like venture capital or startup ecosystem. We're trying to focus on having as many of these experts to have skills that then we can provide the mentors that then the ecosystem will need in the future, while also providing the people who have the greatest potential because they already are the most familiar 
to be able to even climb even higher. So, you know, we've been doing these experiments, you know, from Vietnam to Taiwan to, you know, in, in Haiti as well. But really, it's kind of like if you are going to support this ecosystem, how can you make sure there's enough, you know, mentors, jobs to sustain like a growing population of people who then want to, you know, be mentored or be supported or have opportunities? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah we kind of thinking about it from that top down piece. And, you know, hopefully we'll have more opportunities to work with tech companies to, to impact that. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's helpful. I mean, we just had Nuno come through from Portugal coding at, you know, an hour that was inconvenient for him through a remote program, through SSP and things like that. So cool. What kind of music do you listen to? People probably judge me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I mean, like, you know, I, I like hip hop and R&B, but I like a lot of like kind of top 40 type of stuff. Top as well. 40 is cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I can go across the spectrum depending upon the mood I'm in. Like, yeah. You know, there's maybe a little bit of classical in there. Oh, yeah. Classical is um, good. Yeah. yeah. And, (laughs) uh, but, but, you know, like in general, I just want something that has a beat that you could probably move to. And then that could have multiple purposes for me from like, you know, a work to a night out type of thing. Yeah. Are there any questions that you have for us or anything that you haven't covered that you would like to cover? Because we want this to be the most comprehensive co-path of you that has ever been given in history. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I would say. What I'm really excited about right now is the potential to have uh, big tech companies help to have a data-driven approach to support their decision-making that can kind of change the industry. If you're interacting with various executives, they are constantly thinking about like their place and their role in pipeline. They are kind of thinking about diversity, but they're thinking about the entire ecosystem. And right now... The United States is not on track to be as competitive as it once was yeah. from a technology standpoint. They're aware of the gaps uh, across different college campuses, CS programs. They're aware of people being underemployed in the tech sector. They are worried about K through 12. And they're trying to be able to wrap everything together. And they're also worried about, you know, what's the role of like government mm-hmm. in all of this and mm-hmm. nonprofit. And so... You know, I, I keep thinking about this quite a bit, and I'm I'm excited about the trajectory that Copath has in order to provide the right level of support to these decision makers, mm-hmm. because we are like inside of their companies, but mm-hmm. then we're also an external piece that's trying to help people as they're trying to climb higher their careers or as they're trying to to break in. So that's been the the most exciting thing for me, being fortunate to have a seat at the table in these conversations, mm-hmm. but also feeling like we're heard. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're heard. And then also excited about helping and collaborating with as many organizations as we can from breaking into startups or there's so many that from level playing field to code 2040, I think we have to work together to make this happen. But like, I'm very, very excited about that possibility because I feel like it's getting closer. And I feel like, you know, the past couple of years have been kind of like a primer for tech companies to take these issues more seriously, but I feel like there's something that's going to be sustainable that's created. So I'm just like incredibly excited about that. And then our, I guess our ability to impact things. Yeah, no, we're excited about that as well. And we're definitely going to make sure this gets heard far and wide and love that you touched on the fact that it is an internet interconnected solution to a complex problem. Like we said before, we're big fans of what you're working on. And 
What's the best way to get in touch with you before we tell everybody to break in? (laughs) (laughs) The best way to get in touch with me, (laughs) like my email. It could be your email or Twitter, Twitter, whatever you think How can people find out about CodePath? You know, I would say if you are on a college or any type of educational institution, two-year, four-year, whatever, you can go to CodePath.org and you can actually request that we go to your school. Yep. So that's one area. And we're probably already in your area, we're probably not too far away already. So I think that's one way, you know, if you are in your current professional path, a couple times a year, we run courses at places like Facebook and, you know, Intuit and Netflix and all these other places. Uh, the courses are free and it provides like direct access, unique direct access to technology companies. Then I'm fine with people, you know, reaching out on, a, you know, my Twitter Michael W. Ellison nope. is the handle. And then uh, as far as, you know, email wise, Michael at CodePath. There it is. is uh, <laughs> you guys heard it here first. So, <laughs> so, so take, make sure, you, make on sure you follow up on that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, cool, man. So no, thanks again for taking the time with us. And without further ado, let's break in. Let's yeah. break in. Let's break in. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. Thanks for checking us out. We appreciate you for listening and always love your feedback on how we can do better. If you enjoyed this, let us know what you thought on the reviews by going to iTunes, searching for Breaking Into Startups, subscribing to our podcast, and leaving a review. Also, if you know someone who came from a non-traditional background and is looking to break into tech, encourage them to sign up to our newsletter or tell them to join the Breaking Into Startups community on Facebook. Remember, if they don't let you in through the front door, go through the back door, around it, under it, or through it. Let's break in. Let's break in.